episode of the Hoosier Health Podcast, we bring awareness to the month of September and sickle cell disease with a special guest, Dr. Meyer, who is a physician at the Indiana Hemophilia and Thrombosis Center. Dr. Meyer has had a passion to treat patients with sickle cell disease for almost 20 years. And the interesting thing um, with her journey in her career was where sickle cell disease treatment and uh, diagnosis came from to where it is today. And it really illustrates the advancements that our medical community has made for this rare disease. Indiana is home to over 1,500 patients who have been diagnosed with sickle cell disease, and the Indiana Hemophilia and Thrombosis Center is an unbelievable resource for their patients and family. Dr. Emily Meyer was diagnosed herself at a young age with cancer, and that experience really fueled her fire to want to make a difference, and that is why she became a doctor. So let's get into our conversation with Dr. Meyer as she gives us a little bit of her background as well as some of the advancements still being made to help patients with sickle cell disease. 17, I had Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, And so I got into medical school saying that I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. And I went to medical school at Indiana University and then matched for residency in Washington, D.C. at the Children's Hospital out there and continued to say I wanted to be a pediatric oncologist. And my first rotation of my intern year, I was on the hemonc floor and started to take care of children with sickle cell disease uh, because there are between 12 and 1,300 children with sickle cell in Washington, D.C. And over the course of that first month of residency, my interest very quickly switched from oncology to hematology um, because I found sickle cell disease to be a very fascinating um, disorder because it's a blood disease that affects every organ system. And then it's also um, it's also uh, the ultimate health disparity. And people, um, there aren't very many doctors who want to take care of children or adults with sickle cell. And so it kind of met both of my interests and part two of my main reasons for going to med school. It's funny, you hear a lot of stories of people who are, um, I don't know, given a dose of health care at an early age and the impact that it either uh, has on them or, or their family and, and whether they were the patient or they saw a loved one go through medical care, it, it truly um, develops a calling. And it sounds like that that's the case with you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yep. So how long have you been back uh, here in uh, Indiana? It's been five years. It's five years in September. So yeah, it's been five years. So I'm very thankful to be back closer to my family and, and back in Indiana. Now, is that is there a focus there within IHTC, within uh, sickle cell, or did, is that just more of a passion? You get pulled into a lot of things blood disorder related. Um, you know, it is the largest freestanding hemophilia treatment center in the country. So there are a lot of people with bleeding disorders. So I think I told you I was on call this past weekend. So I was dealing with some people who were ble- had bleeding concerns. Um, and then we see other kind of general hematology things. But my main focus, I'd say I spend 80 to 90 percent of my time taking care of kids with sickle cell, building sickle cell programs around the state, doing thinking about sickle cell disease. So. Wow. So if I'm going to tap into that sickle cell knowledge, where do I start? So imagine, you know, well, just don't even imagine. Uh, I am a very <laughs> uninformed on sickle cell. So what is it that I need to know? 
So um, every baby that's born in the United States is screened for sickle cell disease, um, and it is the most common disorder that is identified on the newborn screen. Um, we think in Indiana, there are between 30 and 50 babies born every year with sickle cell. Um, and then there are probably around 1,500 children born with sickle cell trait, which you may have heard of if you follow sports at all, because the NCAA now requires testing and screening for sickle cell trait. Um, it's an inherited disease, and so it runs in families. It's autosomal recessive, which means that you have to, um, you have to inherit two copies of the abnormal gene in order to have have the disease and it causes the red blood cells, which are the cells that carry oxygen to go from their usual donut shape into a C sickle shape, which is how the disease got its name when um, the doctor who described it in the US looked under the microscope, they look like sickles. Um, and, and that happens if people get a fever, if they get dehydrated, if they either get too cold or if they get too hot and then get dehydrated, or if there's like a big shift in, in temperature. So like on a hot summer Indiana day, if a child jumps into a cold swimming pool, that can trigger a sickle cell crisis. And then because it's a blood disease, it can affect any organ in the body. The most common thing that it does is it causes pain. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not like, oh, I have a headache. I'm going to take Tylenol pain. It's like, oh my goodness, like kidney stone level, like horrible pain that requires opioid pain medicine. Wow. So I could imagine um, it manifests itself in, in children. Is that typically when people find out that they uh, are suffering from sickle cell? Yeah. So Indiana has been screening for sickle cell since 1985. We were one of the early adopters of newborn screening for sickle cell disease. And so we know within days after the child is born, um, if they have sickle cell disease, people who move to the United States from countries where they don't do screening, they will often be picked up on like a routine CBC or um, if they come in with leg pain or, some, or pain somewhere that um, people can't, like a physician or a provider can't explain, then they often would check for sickle cell. As far as identifying patients, it, it's um, pretty much automated, right? If they're testing upon birth, what are the tools you equip them with when they find out that their child has sickle cell? Yeah, so Indiana has a pretty unique um, way of, of doing newborn screening follow-up for sickle cell disease. And so IHTC, we actually um, are contracted by, this, by the State Department of Health um, to do the follow-up for all of the infants born with sickle cell in the state. And so we have three program coordinators who cover different regions of Indiana to do the newborn screening follow-up. And those program coordinators first notify the primary care physician because we feel like families need to hear it from their doctor, um, the diagnosis. And then once the primary care physician has notified the family, then, then our program coordinators reach out and they schedule, it usually is between 90 minutes to two hours a home visit, where before COVID, <laughs> they were actually going into the homes and and any family member who wanted, who the parents wanted to learn about sickle cell disease, they provide them with written information, verbal information. Um, the newborn screening follow-up program also provides the first three-month supply of penicillin, which is an, an antibiotic that all newborn babies with sickle cell get put on because they're at higher risk for infection. Um, and then we connect them with a care provider that is close to their home. So then they have a sickle cell doctor that um, is close to their home. 
Okay. So uh, a specific um, plan in place for, for these uh, patients and their family. Um, I, I would assume, I mean, this is still a rare condition, but it's, it's fairly uh, treatable, right? And you guys do have a good roadmap in place for, for patients when they are diagnosed and, and living with this disease. Yeah. And thankfully over the last, so, you know, I started 20 years ago and there was one medicine, one oral medicine to treat sickle cell. And it, and 20 years ago, we would only start it after someone had had a lot of pain episodes or if they had pneumonia. In 2014, the NIH shifted because of, because of research studies and said, now anyone who's nine months of age and older who has SS or S beta zero type sickle cell should start hydroxyurea in an attempt to prevent those problems. Um, and then since then, since 2017, we've had three new medicines that have been approved by the FDA to treat people with sickle cell. And we now have bone marrow transplant, which is a cure and gene therapy. So thankfully we now have lots of more things to talk, talk to families about, um, about how to treat and even cure sickle cell disease, which is, which is fabulous. That's amazing. So when you started, you know, in, in your uh, practice, there really wasn't a whole lot as far as options. And you've seen that just in, in, in 20 years probably seems like a lifetime, but that, that's quite an advancement, uh, I would say. And moving from D.C., you know, where we had such a huge population, it took us a while to get everyone started on hydroxyurea after the NIH you know, change their guidelines and coming here to IHTC where we have a, a much smaller patient population and Dr. Rampersad and Dr. Shapiro were able to really get those, get those guidelines implemented. It's like night and day, like how many kids have to come to the hospital for pain and, and get admitted. And it, it's really helped. It's really improved quality of life. Yeah, when, when Dr. Shapiro was on the Hoosier Health podcast, you know, it, it was just an amazing uh, conversation. And, and really, we are fortunate here in this state to have access to such a world-class facility in the IHTC. And, um, you know, what you guys are doing day in and day out for these patients and family is just amazing. Um, and I'm sure they, uh, they thank you for it quite a bit, you know, especially taking call on the weekends, right? Right. <laughs> it's Okay. <laughs> Now, with all these advancements in place, what would be next? What would be that um, that next wish for these uh, patients? In in um, in your opinion? Well, so the thing that's fascinated me about sick one of the main things that's fascinated me about sickle cell is that everyone with SS type sickle cell has the same genetic mutation, but people have totally different clinical complications. So, like we had one baby up in Gary, who had his first pain crisis at four months of age, which I'd never seen, you know, in 20 years. And then we have some kids who never have a pain crisis, or we have some kids who have lots of pneumonias. And there's no way when we identify the babies at birth, there's no way to tell the family, okay, your child is going to have really bad sickle cell. We need to be really aggressive. We have all of these different treatments now. Um, and so we're going to put your child who we know is at highest risk for complications on like the aggressive track, but your this other baby doesn't have that risk. And so this baby's going to get hydrea and then hopefully that's all hydroxyurea and hopefully that's all they're going to need. And so if, if there was a way to identify kids early in life uh, who's at high, who are at high risk for bad sickle cell so we could intensify treatment similar to what they do with other diseases, I think that would be game changing for not only the providers, but also the, the families who have to make these decisions about treatment that often are not easy. 
Well, there's a cost associated as well as, you know, a bone marrow transplant, I, I could assume, is not something favorable to go through. And um, But, yeah, so sounds like determining the um, severity level um, or, or I guess how it, it manifests itself um, in the patient. So are there any studies being looked at to kind of drill down and, and, and see if that's possible? So we have, there's one test called a TCD. It's a Doppler ultrasound of the brain that, that measures how fast the blood goes through the blood vessels in the brain. And we know that in children who have a, a high speed, whose blood goes through very fast, those, those children are at the highest risk for having a stroke. But TCD doesn't tell us about any of the other organs. And so um, when I, I worked at the NIH for a few years while I was out in D.C., and so we looked at that. And there, there's something called fetal hemoglobin, which all newborn babies are born with. And then over time, that level decreases. And we know that as the level decreases, that increases the risk of complications. And, and that's how hydroxyria works, is it keeps the fetal hemoglobin up. But again, it's not it's not predictive. We know like when it happens, then that, you know, then that's when the problems happen. So we, we found um, something called reticulocytes, which are little early baby blood, red blood cells. If, if that number is above 200 in, in young infancy, that seems to be associated with more problems. No one else has really tried to validate that outside of the group I worked with at the NIH. And so it certainly hasn't been adopted um, in a widespread fashion. I think most people are looking for genetic markers, and it's um, it's really hard to find one specific gene um, given the diversity of, of human genomes. So, um, so no is the short answer. It has not, there are ongoing studies, but nothing has been discovered. Something as simple as breastfeeding by the mother, you know, does that have a, an impact, you know, on, on the severity level or outside of that, you know, are there other comorbidities within that, that uh, family that are contributing to the severity level? Um, but yeah, I could imagine targeting a specific gene- genome would be <laughs> relatively, uh, yeah, impossible, um, at least for now. Yeah, wow. and I think the other thing it highlights too is that sickle cell has been severely underfunded in research um, compared to other genetic diseases, and so thankfully there's been a, a recognition of that at the federal level, and and so there's been more funding available um, to researchers and physicians so that we can try to narrow some of those gaps in care and gaps in knowledge um, about sickle cell compared to other inherited disorders. And I think um, you had maybe mentioned this already, but ha- how many people in Indiana um, would you say are right now living with sickle cell? I think there's about 1,500. But one okay. of the problems is is that we know when the babies are born, but then there's no like way of knowing what happens to people as they get older, as they mm. move out of Indiana or, or into Indiana from somewhere else. So, so IHTC was recently um, given some money by the CDC. We applied for a grant through the CDC to do surveillance for sickle mm. cell. And so we were one of eight states um, to, that are going to work together to try to really hone down on how many people are living with sickle cell, where they're getting their care, if they're getting high level care. And and then that way, once we understand where people are living, how they're accessing the healthcare system, then we can really target education and resources to those parts of the state so that hopefully we can increase um, the level of care that people are getting. And you mentioned this was uh, curable. Um, Is that how many percent of patients would you say um, can be cured? Is it 100% or is it, are there people who can't? 
With bone marrow transplant, um, the best and the safest way and the most effective way is with if you have a, a full sibling, so same mother, same father, who's a who's a 10 out of 10 match. Mm. And only about 20% of people with sickle cell have that. Mm. And so there are ongoing trials to look at like a half match. So that would be if your mom or your dad could be the donor mm-hmm. or someone in the pool. Like people have probably heard about like the National Marrow Registry um, program. And, and so unfortunately, there's not a lot of ethnic diversity in that mm. in that pool and m- most of the patients with sickle cell in the US can trace their heritage back to Africa mm. and and so one of the pushes for the National Marrow Donor Program is to increase the diversity of people who are willing to be bone marrow donors with the hopes that then patients with sickle cell or other you know have other bone marrow other things that need a bone marrow transplant could could find a match cuz you know if you're caucasian <laughs> you're you're pretty likely to find a match in that pool. But if you're not Caucasian, then it's it's much harder. Okay. So it does limit the um, options for people to, to, to expand outside of their own family for that, uh, that, that transplant. So um, that probably would be a, a significant barrier. What's next then? I mean, it sounds like this is something you're extremely passionate about. Um, you had mentioned the state programs that you are working on. So we've got a lot of resources for people living in Indiana. Um, you know, are there other research um, oh, uh, avenues that you're traveling down and, and, and looking towards? Yeah. So we, um, you know, we're not, we're not, there aren't any open gene therapy trials in Indiana for sickle cell. The closest ones are in Cincinnati and Chicago, but that certainly is kind of a hot area of research because then you don't need a donor for the bone marrow. You can be your own donor basically. So they take out your cells fix the genetic problem in a, in a multitude of ways, and then put your own cells back in. Now you still need chemotherapy because you have to make space in the bone marrow for the new cells, but, Mm. but it seems to be, um, it seems to be working from the data that, you know, they've shown at meetings and things. So I think people are really excited about that. Um, and then, like you said, we do have programming um, with state funding from birth to end of life for, for all people with sickle cell disease. So I would encourage anyone who may be listening who has sickle cell or knows of someone who has sickle cell disease to get in touch with IHTC because then we can connect you to one of those state-funded programs to make sure that you're getting you know, access to those programs and benefits. Well, and it sounds like if they've moved from out of state, you know, um, not register yourself, but but reach out and connect with the resources that are there so you can help other people somehow. And and so we can get you connected to care. There aren't very many sickle cell experts in the country. And so we're blessed in Indiana to have a few. So definitely get you connected to the people who know how to take care of patients with sickle cell. Thank you so much for, for sharing your expertise. Like I said, um, you know, your passion for these patients um, is coming through the screen here as we talk on our computers with uh, the Zoom world that we're living in. Yes. Um, <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, it's great. My uh, nephew went through uh, leukemia and uh, just the, the passion that I, I saw in his doctors and, and the care providers um, that really helped him through his journey and, and now is cancer free, um, you know, which is just an awesome story. And not everybody's that fortunate 
unfortunate, but um, you know that that we do get bad news when it comes to our health, and um, there are resources available, and um, you know we need to take advantage of those and and reach out to the the smart people like yourself that are here to help. So <laughs> yes, who are surrounded by a very good team of people to help. So yes, it's not just me. <laughs> well, you you definitely uh, you, you're doing a lot of good work, and we really appreciate that, and all the folks at uh, the IHTC and. Um, Like I said, we really appreciate you being on the show here. Sure, no problem. Thank you for having us. 